0: In our case, where there's a, there's like a scheduling attendance, there's a backend, there's a processing, there's a mail, and then there's web app stuff, there's a lot of different animals in the zoo. And if you treat your giraffe like you treat mm-hmm. your sea otter, you're gonna have some problems. But you have to recognize that you have giraffes and sea otters. You can't just be like, oh, right. they're just animals. So like, this is what we do with them, right? That would be silly.
1: Arden, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'd love to just have um, you give a, just a, a real quick intro, introduction to yourself and so the audience can learn a little bit more about you.
0: Sure. Great uh, to be here. Uh, Artem Koren, I'm the Chief Product Officer and Co-Founder of Assembly AI. Uh, my background is in uh, technology management. Um, I also spent um, a number of years in management consulting um, working on large operational management projects for mm-hmm. Fortune 500s, Fortune 2000s. Uh, had um, some brief startup um, stints as well in a company called Nusana that I co-founded where we tried to use AI to uh, recognize biopsies, digitize, cancer and digitized biopsies. Um, and also uh, interweaved throughout my experiences uh, product um, so I was the inceptional product manager on a product called UMT360, which is um, a platform to connect the operational activities of um, a company with the financial metrics of a company. So, um, and, and a PMO, enterprise project management oriented uh, technology. And um, started uh, in 2019 assembly with my co-founder Gil McCleff, who is our CEO.
1: Um, and here we are. Wow. Okay. So you've gone everything from enterprise all the way down to startup. Now back to kind of the unit startup. How, um, tell me a little bit more about assembly. What does assembly do? What is it for?
0: The overarching, uh, concept of assembly, uh, was born from my background in consulting, which consists primarily of meetings. So your life as a consultant is a life of meetings. And um, what um, I thought was interesting was that uh, there's a lot of technologies that enable you to have a meeting flexibly. So remote um, working, online meetings, Zooms of the world, etc. And so you can set up a meeting, connect with your colleagues, have a video conference. But during that entire time of your meeting, there's basically nothing that understands what you're talking about and tries to do something useful with it. And so uh, the idea I guess sounds pretty basic or sounded basic at the time was if you can have technology, listen in and understand what was happening during a meeting, there's an open field of value that can be gained from that. And that's where the idea for assembly was born. So assembly is an AI teammate who joins your meetings, just like any other person would. So you invite uh, assembly to participate in your zoom calls, Google meet, Microsoft teams calls. Um, It can uh, sync directly with your calendar, or you can tell it to come. Uh, It hangs out in the meeting with you, and um, after the meeting, it will understand everything that was said. Um, It understands now over 30 languages and more coming, Um, and it can produce uh, automatic meeting notes for the meeting. Um, It... Uh, understand tasks really well. So near PM quality tasks that um, get uh, identified through the meeting, as well as uh, there is a chat bot called Semblian that you can talk to about the meeting just like you would chat GPT. So everything from getting some insight about the meeting, like what did the salesperson say the discount was, uh, all the way to um, generate a thank you email based on this meeting or uh, suggest the agenda for the following meeting based on this one. So you can kind of, use your imagination as to all the different kinds of things that uh, assembly and can do. So in a nutshell, um, that's what assembly is.
1: I love it. Um, Okay. So I have lots of questions. Um, I'll start first with, um, when did you, when did you decide assembly was the product to go after and uh, what did it look like to kind of form that first initial team, that first initial approach, to to bring this to reality. Of course, there's no question this is the year of AI, so it's the right time, right place. But I'm curious, um, when did you actually get started on this? Did you you do it after the craze, the hype of AI, and go, oh man, we gotta go after this? Or has this been something that leading up to it, you were like, oh, I'm glad we were thinking about AI and we're here now?
0: We were very enthusiastic about AI years before this current craze, uh, for better or worse. Uh, right. Personally, I dabbled in AI, um, so f- starting from back in undergrad, where I was very excited to learn about AI. And then once I did, I realized there was no AI there, and I was very disappointed. So this was <laughs> right. uh, maybe like 20 years ago. Um, and then uh, w- in the very, very early onset of AI, which is, you know, about 13 to 15 years ago, uh, when Jan LeCun started to make first kind of very tangible, very real practical progress in AI, in convolutional neural nets, um we dabbled in in, in ai at, at that point and it was still very very early it was difficult to make significant progress because everything was so raw it's kind of imagine you know it's the equivalent of having to program an assembly uh, before mm-hmm. more higher level languages yes. were available. and then coming back to it so assembly we came back we started assembly in 2019 so uh pretty early on before even covid um so yeah. covid accelerated the remote meeting um um paradigm, but we started before COVID. And um but we were always very um very bullish on the uh, power of AI and, and its applicability. And at that time um AI was just showing very early signs of of a lot of power that was going to come. I you know I had because of what we're doing, I had very early previews to a lot of this large language model technology, transformer technology. Um, it had certain um, deep issues with it that prevented it from being used uh, in an enterprise. But, you know, over years it it advanced and improved. So the concept behind Assembly was, it stays true to this day, but exactly what the product is and how it's going to be shaped, of course, that evolved through the company journey um, as um, we talk to more and more customers and also as the technology landscape evolved.
1: So I'm curious, going back to the beginning, when you and your partner came together or your co-founder came together, um, was were, were you together at the beginning? How how did you get that from zero to one stage? Because I, I think it's super exciting to talk about now. You're what, two, three years in, um, you're getting For, traction. Over you've got years, a product over Four years yeah. in now. Four years. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're gosh, time. Uh, so it is, you've had some time to go at this. Um, what were those early days like forming a product? Cause I think this is something that a lot of our audience either is dealing with this because they're a part of a startup team. That's just trying to get from that zero to one, or they're an in, inside an em, enterprise operation wanting to think like a startup wanting to get, to get an idea up and off the ground, but that zero to one stage is so hard. What was that like for you? In retrospect, it seems very organic,
0: Um, and I'll talk in more detail about what happened in those uh, first few months. But realistically, I think it's the culmination of a lot of little experiences that set up the foundation for allowing us to, to get the startup going and off the ground. Um, and so the way it really happened was, uh, uh, Gil and I got together. We've known each other from before. We worked together for. We've known each other for many years, over a decade at that point. We worked together before, and we worked on product before in in a more mm-hmm. of an enterprise context. And so we already had a very good professional vibe and um, a lot of mutual trust. Um, and um, the stars aligned. In around twenty eighteen and nineteen, because both Gil and I were looking to do something new, and we were both very excited about the AI space, and that that was really the beginning. It was uh, like a cafe coffee conversation, you know, you know, what are you thinking? Where is the industry at? What could be exciting? Um, what are the opportunities? Just really uh, kind of blue sky type of conversation. And then over a period of a few months, narrowing that down into more specific areas like what different kinds of AI technologies are there, um, where can they be effective, and then starting to get closer and closer to some potential use cases and and value cases. Um, Sprinkling into that our past experience, our network, our knowledge, um, and kind of forming like soft constrain and then hard and mm-hmm. harder constrain into a more clear idea. And um, admittedly, you know, I can say that now uh, that I think we still had too broad of a concept when we kicked off uh, as a mm. concept. We thought, okay, you know, AI technology in a meeting, but we didn't have like a a very sharp like what is that specific value item that it's going to generate. So we started with sort of a belief that if we can get um, technology listening and understanding the meeting, we will be able to then see further into what is the exact value point. So there was a an intuition around the fact that there's value to be had, but I can say, okay, and that on that day one, I we knew it was going to be meeting notes, tasks, and the assembly and chatbot. Like that was not in the cards at that point.
1: So you didn't have the crystal ball that said, "Okay, we know for sure this is going to be the thing that we have." The you know, but you had this passion. You had a trust between you and your co-founder to say we could do this this together. Um, and then, in many ways, they talk about it over and over and over again. You iterate towards what is now Assembly, or what is now your product that is in the hands of users and customers, right? Yep, exactly. We we knew that we could uh, put together
0: a team. So, um, you know, I I had a, a deep understanding of tech. Um, I had a lot of experience in organizing teams. It also helped that... So it's got it's kind of a lot of random bits of your history kind of um, streamed together to formulate. So, for instance, where is this team going to be and how do you hire a team? Teams are expensive. I spent some time prior to that living in Ukraine for a couple of months during my travels. Yeah. And at yeah. that time, I actually... Um, was kind of like working on a personal project. So because of that, I, I had a chance to research a little bit of the uh, Ukraine um, like, uh, market of developers, how much they cost, where to find them, what resources you need, and then also where can we for, uh, set up an initial working area, like an initial office. And so I had already all those things mapped so that when that conversation came up, like, okay, you know, we, we have a concept, like we roughly, know like you know what we want to do for the prototype like okay where do we get the people how much is it going to cost I, I already had a lot of answers to those questions and so right. um, we were able to quickly uh, stand up the requirements for the initial team um, find our initial team members and then hire them in Ukraine and I actually flew out to Ukraine with Gil uh, to complete that
1: process well, and I think that that's, that's something that shifted, even I got accelerated definitely through COVID was this ability to have, um, I mean, this has been going on for a long time. I think back to when I first got started, gosh, 15 plus years ago, um, some of the first teams I worked with were, you know, whether they were in the middle East or Eastern European, um, that was kind of, we were, that was pretty early in that stage of like, how do we work with international talent now that's become the norm, right? It's that, that you can, you can hire anyone, anywhere, um, and really get the best talent at the right, uh, price for where you're at in your journey. Um, and so it sounds to me like you really leaned into that, that experience that you had building teams, um, no matter where they were in the world And Ukraine happened to be a place that you had experience with. It allowed you to do that faster.
0: Yep, absolutely. And, and yeah, it's a lot simpler now. Um, there's platforms like deal, et cetera, that let you, um, hire remote. The administrative burden was a lot heavier. Uh, back then, um, it sort of dissolved over the first few years of our existence. Um, but yeah, we we had a good we had a good idea. It also helped that I'm fluent in Russian, so oh, yeah. I could yeah. operate as a local in that environment. Which uh, you know the 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 budgetary constraint is real. <laughs> the money is real. Um, yeah. So being able to get things at the right cost basis because we were local. So to speak, was very yep. very important in those initial stages.
1: Yeah, that's one of been been one of the challenges. I mean, I'm pretty transparent in talking about this. It's been one of the challenges for our company is that you know we help a lot of organizations bring their ideas to life, right? Through that's that's what Crema does. That's what my company does. And so, um, but for a long time, we leveraged after those early stages of me not knowing how to manage international resources. I was I was young. I was inexperienced in a whole lot of levels, but definitely not knowing how to do that well. I pulled back in almost the exact opposite side. And so I started using almost all domestic, right? Um, so we, to this day, most of our talent is here in the States, which is great. You know, there's this collaboration, there's there's high value, but it's very expensive. It's very, very pricey to compete with the tech companies for, for this premium talent. So I think you're going that route um, and also having the unique advantage uh, of language experience, that's uh, that really position you to be able to move faster into that. So mo- moving forward, what is it now as you as you start to see the shape of your teams? What does it look like for your teams to be operating on a day to day basis? What do those team shapes look like? Who's on those teams? Obviously, I have engineers, but now you got AI. You know, you've always been AI. Are you writing your own custom models? Are you integrating with third party models? I'm kind of curious, just like what does the day to day look like for for your team, um, and I bet it changes every day. But I'm just uh, just at a high level. What does it look like to get the work done today? Yeah, zero chance we're going to fit this into 30 minutes, George. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's okay. Um, We've got time.
0: I think you know, I um, I always had um, a pretty clear vision of how I wanted to see the team set up. Um, mm. I had a, a like, I had a, a particular kind of framework of organization that I was trying to fill. And so um, I, I, I kind of implemented that through through the hiring process. Um, I like to organize teams in, our, in terms of the, our technologists around the major components in the environment. So for example, um, we have a team that's focused on just the, the processings. So we have a team that's focused on more of the back end, but within that team, there's a few sub teams. Um, and they're focused on the major components of the product. So there's the attendance component, like how do we show up in meetings and listen in and yeah. stream that content. Um, there is the um, ASR, the uh, speech recognition component. So once we've streamed, how do we turn that audio into text? How do we diarize it by who said what? How do we identify the speakers? How do we adjust? Um, We also, we're actually the only ones in the market that can manage mixed language meetings. Like if you have a meeting in English and French, we would support that. Um, And so that whole bit of turning audio into um, manageable text, it's its own component and there's a small team around that. Then there's a team that just does the pipeline processing. Like once that comes in, how do all the different pieces in the in the backend get hit to produce results? Um, there is a team around the AI aspect. That team has gone through many many evolutions over time because when we started, there was no template of how you um, execute AI development, whatever that means. Um, right. <laughs> so that's been a major learning. And then of course we have a, a, a team for across our interfaces. So the, the we call it the web app team, but it's not just web app, there's mobile apps, there's Microsoft Teams app, there's the uh, browser add-on, etc. So anywhere where the, the user interacts, um, there's, there's a team that manages that part of our platform. That's the kind of the user experience GUI part. So there's kind of small teams that are dedicated towards each major component in the environment. Um, and, and those teams work interestingly, they each have their own, um, flavor of process. And the reason for Mm. that is, is that, um, you can't, you have to adjust the, the flow, the process flow to the kind of component it is. So for example, like in web app, um, it's, it's very straightforward, agile, um, they can iterate very quickly. They can produce... Um, user facing improvements um, in a week, week, week in, week out. And so they have their yeah. own process of how they push tasks forward. On the back end side, there are um, longer term features, let's say. And so their cycle is quite different. And so the, the way they manage features, they're always uh, kind of uh, struggling against you know, balancing the long-term feature they're working on versus the bug fixes and enhancements that are coming in. So it's a little bit of a different paradigm. And then you have the machine learning team, or we call it now the NLP team. That's its own um, world because um, that's a lot more... Uh, whereas the, the, the other teams are more straightforward computer science engineering type solutions, yeah. systems yeah. engineering solutions the the nlp team is a lot more experimental and exploratory and so you can't it's very difficult to set like okay here's the sprint the sprint is two weeks and we're going to do that like okay you can say that but good luck because you're not really sure exactly where you're going to land so it's a lot more like a scientific lab type of environment on the nlp Mm -hmm. team where there's a lot of experimentation um and and sometimes those experiments lead to something great Uh, but it's not the case where you can like very predictably iterate through through improvements so each team because of the nature of their tech um, it's it's different flavor and as a result they have a different process that they run the team leads on each team determine their own uh, style and process of course there's a universal kind of low barrier and a barrier but like a universal thread, of yeah. general principle of how we want to develop. Um, but then the exact implementation of how that's how that's done is up to the team themselves.
1: I think it's really brilliant because I think what we see a lot in especially in more complex organizations, whether that's, you know, I think your complexity comes through the technology that you've chosen to jump into. And I think more and more companies are going to be feeling that, right? As you start talking about how do we handle NLP. How do we handle different models? How do we handle the fact that those models seem to be changing at a m- m- greater and greater rapid or a more rapid pace? Right. Um, so there's there's you you your challenges come through that. Sometimes the challenge is bureaucracy. Sometimes the challenge is um, you know uh, market conditions, etc. But I love the fact that you just identified that they don't all have to look the same, right? Um, both in team size, structure, process, approach, et cetera as long as we're all kind of headed towards this constant or consistent vision of what the organization's outcomes and results are supposed to be, um, and that that is shared, then the pacing of these other things can, can vary. Um, and I think that's unique. I haven't heard anybody, um, on the podcast or even in our relationship that, that will recognize that and kind of not only to accept that, but kind of say, this is, this is reality. This is how, how the work gets done.
0: Yeah. Um, I agree. I think it's, but I think it's also the new reality, and I'm expecting more and more companies to wake up to this because so many different kinds of technologies can now have to get interoperated into a solution um, in order to make a solution happen. It's um, there are certain companies that are very kind of un- uniform in what they provide, so um let's say it's like uh like an api based company that you know they just do this kind of backend. so maybe they have the advantage of just having a universal culture of development across the board but in our case where there is a there's like a scheduling attendance there's a back end there's a processing there's a mail and then there is web app stuff um there's a lot of different animals in the zoo And if you treat your giraffe, like you treat Mm -hmm. your sea otter, you're going to have some problems, but you have to recognize that you have giraffes and sea otters. You can't just be like, oh, they're just animals. So like, this is what we do with them, right? That would be silly.
1: That's such a great analogy. I love that. Um, Out of curiosity, though, uh, when you start talking about those different team structures, um, how much of that is all engineering, um, and it's kind of engineering led engineering implemented, you know, uh, what are the sizes in, of those teams? Cause that's something that people are very curious when they want, they're like, oh, I'm just, what does it look like? Is it three people? Is it 25 people? Is it all engineers? Do you have product managers, uh, on the front end teams, or at least the, the, the teams that have some type of interface are the designers working with, um, the product managers and, and engineers kind of, what are the, what does the spread look like there just from a high level? Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Our technology teams uh, tend to be pure technology. Yep. And it's uh, actually interesting. I never really thought like why, but I could guess. Like one of the reasons is we have a very high bar for technical ability on our teams. And we nurture that through having very, very strong leaders on those teams. Um, so the team leads are like no nonsense team leads. And... Uh, it's, if you, if you kind of meet their bar of, of requirement, then you're going to fall in the rhythm of the team. If you mm-hmm. are not a strong technologist, you're going to fall off very quickly. It's just going to be very obvious. The, the communication is constant, uh, both inside the team and across. And so those teams tend to be pure tech and those guys Kind of speak their own language among themselves, um, meaning that there's a you kind of have to be like fluent in the language enough to speak quickly enough, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, of course. So th- the teams tend, th- the technology teams tend to be pure technology. Now, of course, there there are more um, junior devs that uh, facilitate triage, troubleshoot, um, you know, reporting, dashboarding, things like that. Um, but they're, they're still technologically focused. Um, uh, we have a separate uh, product team um, uh, that's comprised of what we call product managers. Of course, product manager means different things in different places. Um, our product managers wear many, many hats and that that's the kind of product manager we seek out. That's a very dynamic uh, personality. So whereas the developers, we we mostly are concerned with the fact that they're incredibly good engineers, mm-hmm. and they can build really high quality technology solutions. For the product managers, we, uh, we want them to be very, very flexible uh, and fearless. <laughs> flexible and fearless. Uh, so that um, they are not um, they drive the innovative aspect of the product. And so the product managers combine in our world, um, combine elements of a scrum master. They actually do, mm-hmm. they, they hang out on the standups. Um, and so they do a little bit of that classic PM role, like project management role, but mm-hmm. they also are um, very heavy on the customer side, on the client side. And they're, very involved in understanding the competing products, understanding what what our customers are doing and what they want, interacting with customers, and working with design to um, design a user experience that's going to be compelling. And depending, uh, and our product managers own um, different areas of the product experience. Okay. Um, yeah. And then, and then depending on the kind of. Uh, experience it is or the element of the environment that it is, the PM might be a little bit more technical or a little bit less technical. All of our PMs are at least somewhat technical. To be fair, they're very technical in any way.
1: Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. I think that's such a helpful picture because I think a lot of folks are, whether they've done this before or not, are trying to figure out who do I need in this right seat at the right time with the right experience levels, et cetera. And that's that's a challenging thing to wrap your head around because if you haven't done this multiple times over, you know, building teams, giving teams purpose, making sure they understand their responsibility and how to get things done—that uh, can be kind of foggy. It, it's a little bit like I know it's possible. I've seen companies. Obviously, we've seen tech companies do this. We've seen startups do this. We've seen enterprises do this. But how is is very key. So I think that 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 structure totally makes sense. I love your attention to quality. Um, so when you start thinking about making sure there's there's a high bar. All right. Cause you are, you're, you're putting a lot on the line to see this product not only be, you know, as a founder, be something that is, uh, get, gets built for the sake of building, but also this is a company you're building an asset into. So you, you've got to set that high bar. Uh, and then that high bar gets replicated through the leadership of the organization. That's that's awesome to see. That's awesome to see. Okay, so I want to move us forward just a little bit. When you start t- thinking about Simbly's journey, um, both through the iteration of the different product approaches, you've, I've seen that you've put out new product features over time. Where's the moment where you went, mm, we tried that and it failed, or maybe this was a challenge I didn't expect to see, or maybe an unknown, an unknown what is the word I'm looking for? Unknown, unknown, something, I, we just got blindsided by that. Um, where was that moment where you went, Mm. I'm, we all have them, but what was yours, or what's one, one example of yours?
0: Yeah, the unknown unknowns was it? That was, it wasn't Petraeus, It was who, who? was that? Um. Uh. I mean, we we've had a bunch. Obviously, uh, I think every startup um, has one thing in common, which is a lot of you know unexpected things happen. Um. There's so there was one macro one. Um, we can talk about, which is the there was a major pivot that we did in our history. So when when we started out at Assembly, we were immediately focused on larger organizations. And so we Mm -hmm. built and we knew what what an enterprise oriented product looks like. We had a really good experience in that area. And so we built an enterprise fitting product. So it had basically all the bells and whistles an enterprise needs to bring a product into its realm of um, enterprise architecture. And unfortunately, what that turned out to be was a product that fits the enterprise architecture really well. But from a user experience standpoint, it was very, very difficult. You know, Some of the feedback we got was like, it was like stepping into a Bo- Boeing or an Airbus cockpit. You just don't know what to do. Um, oh, interesting. And yeah, and so... It was very, very difficult to gain traction um, because it wasn't obvious or easy to onboard and use the the platform. And the big pivot we did, which was, I guess at this point, a couple of years ago or so, um, maybe a little bit more at this point already, was we completely reoriented towards an individual user experience. And I think that was a big Mm. learning. And I talk about this a lot in, in that, Modern enterprise applications. Curiously, this wasn't true like 20 years ago. If you look at some of the um, kind of more legacy, like IBM products or Oracle products, mm-hmm. um, you'll cringe. <laughs> but but they they functionally were complete, but they're cringy in terms of the experience. You don't have that luxury today. You can't build a cringy product that just won't fly. And so today's enterprise product has to um, it's more like a pyramid where there's a foundational layer that's a really great individual user experience, and then you have to go up to like a team experience, up to a group experience, up to an organizational experience, um, and across those layers you have to hit points. And so we we pivoted hard into an individual user experience, and um, and that is continues to be um, our North star in terms of what it feels like to use assembly. Uh, so we, we, we're, we're actually very proud of the experience inside the product. And we try to continue to make it simple, slick, intuitive, and avoid at all costs. Um, anything overwhelming or annoying. You know, one of the things I, I told my team very early on is that annoying is worse than broken.
1: Mm, um, that's a good line. Yeah, I like
0: that. Because if it's broken, it's like you click, it doesn't work. Okay, it doesn't work. Like that's where the story ends. Maybe you contact support, it's like this sucks, it doesn't it's work. It's a matter of fact. Yeah. yeah. But if it's annoying, it's not that it doesn't work, it makes you like feel bad. And that's one of the worst things you can do as a product is to make your user feel bad. And so the more you touch it, the worse you feel. And you're basically like training this uh, resentment (laughs) in your user, which is probably the worst thing you can do uh, because it's not like, okay, it's broken, but maybe I don't care or it's broken. Okay. It's going to get fixed, but it's like, this is painful and this is hurting me. Mm -hmm. And this makes me like want to rip my hair out. Like that's a feeling you, you, you have to avoid at all costs with your users. And so, um, yeah, so that's been. So that's been a major focus of ours since, you know, since we had this pivot and now we have a a really nice and consistent and clean user experience. And I, you know, I saw you register, so I think maybe you've experienced it a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's great. You can definitely tell that refocus on the individual has been very thoughtful. Um, And I think that's, that is a, a really, that's, that's a really smart move because I can think of a lot of organizations that I've talked to where they were so concerned about how does this work at scale and how do I deal with, how do I deal this with, I'm going to have all these different user permissions and, and user types and et cetera. And they were thinking so much up here because the engineering needed to make sure they checked all those boxes and functionally it did, but then inevitably it got down to the person that actually had to log into it every day. And they were like, I don't want to.
0: Exactly. I think this is a unique challenge for startups. I would say like this, Mm. because, and I think that's one of the reasons we went down that wrong path initially. And we often find ourselves saying today in the product, oh, but we had this in the previous invocation of the, platform. oh, we had this in the previous platform. We had this, we do this a lot today, but I think it's unique to the startup because you don't have the benefit. Like, let's say I was, I don't know, like Microsoft. Well, Mm -hmm. like everyone's already my user. Everyone's basically using my platform. And as a Microsoft, okay, like you're already on my platform. Like, what are you going to do? So I'm going to drop some features on you. Maybe they're not the slickest, but it gets the job done. But you're already using, it's already plugged into all of your automation flows Into you to integrate into your entire environment. You kind of have to do it. Like there's no, no, right? You're already pay- paying for this. But as a startup, you don't have that benefit. Like nobody's using your product. And if they start and it's not, um, it doesn't feel good. They'll just say no we're just not gonna we're just not gonna do it and you can check all the boxes you want but at the end the way you get into an organization is you start with a pilot and the pilot surprisingly Mm -hmm. consists of human beings and those human beings have enough on their plate to do and the least thing the last thing they want is something like annoying or ugly or not cool that they have to click into as part of their day and so if you can't make that person happy at the end of that pilot, they're just saying, eh, "This sucks," <laughs> you know. And then the manager's like, "Well, it sounds great, but my people said they don't want to use it, so we're not going to use it."
1: Oh man, you're preaching to the choir. I I totally agree with you. Um, and this is something we run into on a regular basis because, well, partly because. Um, my background's in UX design. So that I started the company as a user experience design firm. And so the uphill battle that we've gone through over the last 15 plus years of trying to tell that story, that message uh, is both one worth fighting for, but one that is often in a fight, right? Um, so well done, well done. I love that. Well, I wanna, I wanna kind of start to, to pull us in a little bit. Um, the future of Simbly, the future of what you see coming ahead. What do you get excited about? Where do you see both for your product, for your team, for your market, for your space um, that you're going, oh, we're, we're on the cusp of something great. What's what's getting you excited right now? I, I think we're
0: just beginning to scratch the surface in terms of the, what's possible and the kind of value that um, AI-enabled products can provide in, in our domain, which is the, the working teams domain. Um, I I like to say that AI is kind of a material. That's that's the way I like to think about it. And so it's not a new technology. It's a new material for technology, uh, which means that it's kind of like, you know, when carbon fiber is introduced, that doesn't mean like steel is like done, right? Or like right. plastic is done or whatever, right? Or wood is done, right? It just means now you have carbon fiber and there's certain things you can now do. Like now planes can fly, you know, for 30 hours because the fuel use is so much lower because you have carbon fiber and so on and so on. Um, sports cars are now breaking records only because you have carbon fiber. And so AI is similar to that. It's it, it provides new kinds of capabilities that when um, shaped into a user experience can be extremely powerful. We're just now beginning to scratch the surface. And so it, I'm super excited about uh, where AI is going. I've always been a, a big um, kind of AI proponent. Um, I always thought that the, the power of AI is you know, b- basically untapped, even I think to this day. Um, mm. The future, I think, is in a few areas. So first of all, one of the things that... that um, I'm really excited about is, is the power of autonomous agents that are, um, AI driven. Um, so, you know, something like, um, auto GPT is, is uh, kind of an early, early inkling of things to come. Um, and that's really a paradigm shift because we used to, it it's, it's kind of, you know, it, it used to be that it had to be like point to point, meaning, um, in order to get the computer to do something, you had to like poke the right holes in the punch card, right? You get one hole mm-hmm. wrong, the whole thing is off. And then it got a little bit more fluid with um, modern UI UX of Windows where you can actually like, move the mouse around and click in the field. And suddenly it's a little bit more human, but not exactly human. Um, now with AI, um, you can talk pure, like in any language, purely human, use like euphemisms, whatever you want. Um, and it will still understand you. So this compute like this technology of human interaction has gotten very fluid. But and there's a huge but in all of these cases it's always uh, a request response. So I'm asking something, I get something back. It's very functional, right? It's like do this, mm-hmm. here it is. Do that, here it is. I can do it very fluidly now. ChatGPT is a great example or assembly in our product is a great example.
1: Sure. Yeah. I can
0: say, you know, whatever I want and it will give me a response. But this next phase of evolution is it's no longer like point to point. You can you can give it like an open-ended goal, like figure out this complicated thing. And it's going to go off and start like multi-step problem solving, figuring things out like it will you know, look over here, learn something about the problem here based on what it learned. It's going to go look over there, collect some information. It's going to talk to like a collaborative agent, get some information, and it's going to come up with a kind of answer that's not a point-to-point answer. That's a very uh, comprehensive sort of like next step orientation that's not a singular answer. It's like a little bit of a research project. So I think that's, that's very excited and it's a new kind of a paradigm in, in what technology can provide um, so that's that's one piece another piece I'm really excited about um, is is this idea that now as we're going along we're kind of creating this digital trail and if, if an AI that can pay attention to that digital trail and cross everything you do can basically have what we call um, at assembly we call this enterprise awareness so basically you can be aware of everything that's happening. On the individual level, team level, group level, etc., and you can use that, uh, and then you can use AI to make intelligent decisions and intelligent functional um, uh, value points around this information. So it's basically, um, you know, imagine that a CEO can be in every room at every point, understand all its activities, and can align the work of their organization across many geographies, across tens of thousands of employees, align them to uh, the company's goals effectively, that's now beginning to to be possible. We're still a few years off, but we're starting to see the first steps in this direction.
1: Well, you say we're still a few years off. We thought we were a few years off from what we're seeing now and it's happening quite quickly. So I think that that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm totally aligned with you on both of those excitements, both the, what, when will it stop being data in data out? Just that one-to-one, right? Kind of a binary approach, but instead start to be an opportunity where we give it purpose and it can fulfill that purpose. Um, and that that's exciting. It's a little unnerving because it you know now we have to respond to how to work within that space, um, and uh, and create new value props as individuals as humans. Um, and then the second, I think that you know as you talk about this this opportunity for us to be more, how do we scope AI? That's just, this is the the kind of thing that I've been thinking about. Is that I've I've played. A lot with this space, we're we're implementing it on some of the solutions that we build, but oftentimes it wants to go kind of to this generic common denominator. Like I can take you to the most like uh, safe place of answering this question for you based off of the content I have access to. You know the the data that I've been modeled off of. That the, the the Then taking that language model and scoping it down to the context of your company, your situation, and then mixing that with maybe a benchmark of other companies or of other teams or of other solutions, et cetera, and making meaning out of that scoped correctly, that becomes really exciting because then it's not generic. It's meaningful to the context that we're working in. Um, and I haven't quite seen that done perfectly yet. But I I feel little little steps forward where we're like, oh, oh, that's a little better, you know? And each day it seems like it's getting a little smarter, which is fun.
0: Absolutely. It's it's an unsolved problem. There's a lot of different approaches to it. Um, Personally, I'm a big fan of um, like agent collaboration. I think that there's a lot of eggs being put into the basket of like, make this large language model smarter. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that that's not necessarily the... Like the ultimate solution where like there's just going to be there are some people who think that there's like one language model to rule them all type type of a solution sure. i don't believe i don't believe that's true partly because um as humans our brains are not built like that our brains kind of are built of collaborating and also competing com- com- components and so when yeah. we're thinking through things you have like many like of um uh, competing ideas and, and parts of our brains, right? There's a lot of fear. There's a little bit of excitement. I'm hungry. I'm stressed. I'm, I'm like relaxed. I'm in love. Like there's all these like different things that are happening. And then there's something that synchronizes that into an action. Um, I think that, and this is, you know, my, my pers- just my personal perspective. I think that the future of the really powerful use cases of AI are rooted in collaborative agents. So like, for example, scoping AI in maybe an exercise in having a large language model that's unscoped, that's like, I know everything, but then having an adversarial model that's like, okay, talk to me, buddy, like, tell me the thing. And I'll think about does this thing scope into what I'm trying to do, or I'll interpret it in the scope that I'm experienced in. And so this this collaborative exchange between like AI agents, I think is what's probably going to enable the more advanced and sophisticated use cases down the line. We haven't seen a lot of that yet. I think it's early days, but that's where my intuition is.
1: Artem, I, 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 we could, you and I could nerd out on this, I think, for many more hours, but I want to be respectful of our audience and the time that they have. So this has been such a, an insightful conversation, both from your your journey as an organization, how you think about your teams, how you think about the quality of the work that you're doing, and of course, what Simbly is doing in the world, which I think is really exciting. I love the product. I would love for you to get a chance to plug it. So I'm going to just roll out the red carpet for you. Tell, tell the people where they can learn more about you, about Simbly, and about what you're working on.
0: Sure. So check out Sembly, .sembly www.sembly.ai. That's S-E-M-B-L-Y.ai. Free trial. Go check it out. It's super easy. No downloads, no installs. It works as soon as you register. Um, You can also upload audio to it so it doesn't have to come to all your meetings if you don't want it to. Um, And it's really a fantastic tool uh, that I think um, you will be hooked on very quickly and uh, will, will not imagine your life without You know, certainly that's been the case for us and many of our users. Uh, For me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's uh, Artem Koren on LinkedIn, um, A-R-T-E-M-K-O-R-E-N. And I'm also clearly Koren, um, uh, clearly with a C, Koren with a K, uh, on Twitter. Um, Those are probably the best ways to, uh, to get in touch.
1: Artem, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been such a great conversation. I definitely highly recommend people check out Simbly and I can't wait to see what else you do in the future.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, It was great to be here.
1: product is brought to you by Crema, a design consultancy that helps forward-thinking leaders discover, understand, and execute on their greatest opportunities. Learn more at crema.us.